Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Stay in an attitude of worship. Hallelujah. Title of my sermon is A Spirit Led Church. Hallelujah. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 19. 1 Thessalonians 5 19. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, Do not quench. We know that word means like to put out a fire. Like there's a fire and you're trying to put that fire out. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt or some of your versions say disdain or look down upon them or forbid them. But test them all and hold on to what is good, but reject every kind of evil. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is your message. Oh, I pray right now that you would deliver it, take us out of the way. Lord, let us speak directly from you and let us hear. Let us hear, Lord God, what your Spirit has to say this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. This is a very interesting passage in Thessalonians. Because this Thessalonians, if you really study church history and you study where this book is placed in history, how many know that this book is around 52, 53 AD, which means Jesus died and was resurrected in the year around 33, there's debate, but around 33, and this book is written around 52, 53. So 19 to 20 years after Jesus died and is resurrected, and how many know seven sevens, 50 days after um, he was resurrected was the day of Pentecost. So within a 19 to 20 year period, Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians in a city called Thessalonica, okay? And it's only 20 years after the day of Pentecost. So in the terms that we can understand, it's around the year 2000 for us. So I want you to imagine that Jesus died and was resurrected in the year 2000, just so you have a little idea on what they're thinking when he writes this to them. Imagine the year 2000, Jesus died and was resurrected. Now, how many know 2000 wasn't very long ago, right? And in that year, he died and was resurrected and the Spirit was poured out. And when the Spirit was poured out, this was, I mean, it blew everybody's mind. Because it had been promised by the prophets for a very long time that there's going to come a day, and this is what's amazing, where God's Spirit is going to be poured upon all flesh. Wow. And there's all kinds of debates, man. Is that only on men? But then the prophets go on and say, no, it's upon your sons. And see, it in that culture, it could have easily stopped. 
be poured upon your sons and your son's sons and your son's son's sons, and we could have kept it the good old boys club. But in a culture where that wasn't very popular, he said, no, this spirit is going to be poured upon all flesh, A-L-L, and I've looked that up in the, in the, in the Greek, and you know what that means? And the Hebrew. It means everybody. And he says, your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. And when the day of Pentecost came, they said, this is it. This is what was spoken of by the prophets, and it's happening right now. And remember, in Thessalonica, it was 20 years before that. So 20 years ago, the Spirit of God was poured out, and they began to prophesy, guess who? Men and women. Sons and daughters, old and young. God, they begin to see visions. They begin to have dreams. God's Spirit began to be poured out. And Thessalonica, Paul is uh, entering into this church, and he's got a motivation here because uh, in, in, the, in 2 Thessalonians 2.2 2 it says, Don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching that allegedly came from me. I don't know if it was by prophecy or by word of mouth, or by a letter that is supposedly from him. But they were asserting that the day of the Lord already had come. Do you hear what's happening here? Very possibly a prophetic utterance had came from that church, or Paul was still trying to figure it out, or it was a letter that somebody wrote in the name of Paul, And they were fooling the people. They were tricking the people. They were actually telling the people that there's a prophetic word that's coming forth in this church. How many of you know red flags are popping up? We may have a false prophet in the house. But God had promised 20 years ago and it was fulfilled that He would pour His Spirit upon all flesh, men and women, young and old, visions, dreams, prophecies, right? Now we got a problem in Thessalonica, the first, uh, between Galatians and Thessalonians, the first two letters of the church very early, within 20 years, okay, that the Spirit's been poured out, and we got a problem. So what does Paul need to do here? Let's just quit this whole spiritual gifts thing. Let's just end it right here. Even though the Spirit was promised to be poured out upon all flesh, which was groundbreaking. The reason it was groundbreaking is because all through the Old Testament, we see the Spirit being poured upon people. We see it upon Samson and he's ripping down columns. We see it upon David and he's killing giants. We see it upon Israel and there's not an enemy that can stand in front of him. We keep seeing the Spirit being poured out on kings, prophets, all kinds of different people and a lot of men. And, and and we hear all about the Spirit of God creating everything on the earth. The Spirit of God, every mighty thing that was done, everything that God does through the Old Testament is through the Spirit of God. And then he says, there's going to come a day when I'm going to pour it upon all flesh. Sons, daughters, old, young. And 20 years ago to the Thessalonians, it was poured out. And I'm going to give you some of the things the Spirit was done in that 20 years, because when he comes to Thessalonica, Paul doesn't say, just end it. Just stop it. Don't do it anymore, because we've got a problem here. We've got an error in this church. In fact, you go to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems, right? 
fact, I listed ten different issues that Paul is dealing with in Corinth. And listen to this. Issue number one. They were divided over church leaders. He spends four chapters. Why? Because some of them only follow Apollos. Some, hey, we prefer Peter. We follow Peter. Or Cephas, it says there. That's Peter. Some said we follow Paul. And then there was the super spiritual group. We only listen to Jesus. And so four chapters he spends sorting out the problem that they had preferential leaders. Or they, the rich or the poor or the class system that they were in with the Romans. And he was trying to sort that out. This is a church that has a little bit of problems, right? Second issue. He's trying to sort out the fact that there is a couple in the church that is having an incestual relationship. And so he's got to sort out. In fact, uh, this chapter five, he's trying to sort out, hey, don't, don't tolerate that. That's not something that we should tolerate as a church. But love them. I mean, try to win them to the Lord. Try to correct them. And it's called the letter where Paul is just distressed because he don't want to lose them. He loves them. So he's correcting another problem. Uh, issue number three, that Christians were bringing lawsuits against each other. Boy, some church here, wasn't it? Just imagine that we've got people in this congregation, okay, that have litigation against each other. Now, there's some problems here, right? And he goes on, he says they, some of them, uh, he goes into verse 7 and he's talking about marriage and singleness. There's all kinds of problems with marriage and singleness. They don't understand. Paul's trying to clear this up. All right, then he goes again and he's got Christians who are uh, not sure whether they should eat pagan food that, w- that was in the pagan temples. And he's trying to sort that out. And then, oh, by the way, he gets into issue number... Um, Seven, and he's talking about because there were uh, pagan worship there. He's trying to talk about the different um, difference between men and women according to the Bible, and he's trying to sort that out. And then he gets to the area of spiritual gifts, and he tells them in chapter one, "Man, you know the spiritual gifts are in operation." And he said, "There's not one gift that this body lacks." But here's the problem: you're all out of whack. <laughs> I mean, they're so enamored with speaking in tongues. Okay, remember, this isn't long. This is late 50s. So this is maybe 25 years after Pentecost. They're enamored with speaking in tongues, but he has to correct them and say, hey, you know what? Tongues is a gift for the church. Can I tell you something? That there's not a time during the day. In fact, I don't even know how much that gift keeps giving to me. Because never a time during the day I'm not speaking in tongues. Can I tell you that? I mean, there's not almost a time when I'm worshiping that I'm not speaking in tongues. And that gift that's in my life, it says it's not a gift for men because they don't understand what you're saying. But God, you speak mysteries in the Spirit. You pray in the Spirit and you pray the will of God through that gift. And it allows a person to spend time in God's presence and God is able to impart prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge through that gift of prayer, that gift of tongues. God's pouring things out. But this church was so enamored with tongues, they would never move past it to these other gifts to minister to the church. So Paul starts telling them, hey, here's how the gifts work and here's how they operate in love. Here's what I want. I want you to have 
these gifts in your body. And Paul, again, very consistently, doesn't say, let's just end the whole thing. He doesn't correct the spiritual gift abuse by saying, let's disuse it. He says, no, this thing is so important to the church that we need to do it right because we want to see these all in operation. We need these things in operation. And the Lord just started speaking to me this week. In fact, uh, we got out of our meeting last week and what an awesome time we had last Sunday from three to seven. People began to pour their hearts out and say, man, this is what... You know, my dream from God for the church is this, this, this. And we went through everybody in the room almost telling what God has a call for. And boy, I left and, and I was just like, God, you know, I put it before him. You know, God, here's what we're trying to do here. We feel like we're led by the spirit. And and boy, you're like, man, that was a good time until you're the pastor of that. And you're like, wow. The breadth and the depth and, you know, everything God's trying to do. And you become really aware really quickly that, man, there's no way to do it in the flesh. There's no way to do it without the Spirit of God moving on large numbers of people. Everything that God had put on everybody's heart was from the Spirit of God. And, and God just began to wake me up this week and probably Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and, and I just, I just am not allowed to sleep. And, and I'm like, well, God, I'm tired. You know, I want to sleep a little bit. And he's like, no, no, this is really important. You know, this is really important because, um, everything that God has done in your church and God just had me document, you know, everything I know since I've been here has been through the gifts of the spirit. Just absolutely everything. In fact, uh, God says when I come here, hey, you know, um, pray. Just pray and see what I want to do. And, and, and I just pray and seek God and pray and seek God. And, and through the gifts of the Spirit, God says, hey, this is where you're going. This is what you're doing. This is how you're going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. And you say, with all that coming to me? No, it's coming from, you know, God, you know, giving his gifts to me, but also lots of other people, words of knowledge, you know, a word of knowledge, you know, that is, um, there's knowledge. Okay. And knowledge is a good thing to know the Bible, read the Bible, understand the Bible, but word of knowledge is, you know, it's like you do a Google search and it sorts out all that stuff that's relevant to that topic and it gives it to you. Word of knowledge is a little bit like that, but much more godly. Okay. It's just where God says, okay, There's lots of knowledge in the world, but the Spirit is giving you the knowledge you need for that moment. A word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. You know, there's all kinds of wisdom in the world. Wisdom is a beautiful thing from God that we should ask God for, the book of James says. But a word of wisdom is like, God, how do I deal with this thing in the church and God, if you will pray, will give you a supernatural gifting of, hey, here's the word of wisdom you need for that in your life. You say, man, I'm glad you have that for church. I wish we could bottle and I could use it at home. Because I got problems with my kids and I got problems with my finances and I've got. Church, it's given to us these gifts. And words of prophecy, like. God will, I know, I know in my prayer life, God will always through this ministry tell me 
what it looks like where we're going, but he usually won't give me the details. You know, it's like, okay, that's where we're going. Tell them that's where we're going. Okay, I'll tell them that's where we're going, but you better have my back here. You know, and, and how many times has God given us a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, prophecy, discerning of spirits? Uh, how many know that one of the gifts of the Spirit is supernatural giving? Like everybody is called to give, but there is a supernatural gift where God says, hey, I've anointed you to be generous. And you say, well, that's money. No, it's everything. Supernatural giving of time, talent, energy, money. And how many know that we've been like, we, we wouldn't survive. You say, well, well, yeah, we would because you're not watching the bank account every week. I do. <laughs> and I don't worry about it. I put it in God's hands and supernaturally God gives that generous spirit and man, it always comes when it's called because people are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And man, if I could tell you the story, I I could have this whole sermon, just stories about how the gifts of the Spirit has led us and guided us and accomplished what God wants to accomplish. But God woke me up this week and I've been probably every night I've been up till three or four in the morning you know, praying and studying and, and can I tell you something? This is, um, this drips, you know, you could wring it out. It just drips with, uh, the Holy Ghost, you know, the Holy Spirit every night saying, Hey, you're not going to do what you've been called to do unless those people operate in their gifts. Unless it's more than words on a page and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. In fact, can I tell you something? I know this, oh man, this is going to be, um, this is going to be like salt. How many have ever sat somewhere and they give you all kinds of free chips with lots of salt on it? And you're like, man, I'm the most blessed person in the world. Be careful. It's a trap. <laughs> they want you to drink more, right? That's how it used to be. Peanuts. Chips, okay? This is like that. But it hurt a little bit. We were singing that song and it was saying, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry for more of you. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I seen a vision during that. And I could see the Lord with his shoulder slightly turned, saying, if only they were. And, and and then we were saying, we want more of you. We want more of you. And he was saying, if they only did want more of me. Because how many know we don't get more of the Holy Spirit? He gets more of us. And that song really should be, take more of me, take more of me. Lord, I give you more than me. But we say, Lord... I need more of you. And he's saying, I'm giving you all I have. I'm giving you everything. And, and, and one of the things that struck me as I was praying during the week was I've heard, you know, hey, if it would only be like this time in our history, you know, when we were, and I heard some names, you know, this pastor, man, we had a move of God. And this pastor, we had a move of God. And, and if only, and, and one of my rules was don't mention names. 
but the rule was broken. But I've removed that person that broke my rule. Actually, he's on vacation, so it's all right. (laughs) But you know, I was around during those periods of time, and I can remember when we were hungry for more of Him. We were hungry to give more of us. We were in middle of periods of revival and people would come to church and they were so hungry to get in God's presence and so hungry to give more of themselves that God just began to move. And you know what? We were at the cusp. You say we were there. We weren't there. We were at the cusp of entering into God's presence and seeing God begin to move. But back to Paul here. Here he is 20 years after Pentecost. And most commentators, scholars believed that the reason Paul was saying don't put out the fire of the Spirit, don't quench the fire, don't look down on prophecy, don't, um, what's the words he used here, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them, keep what is good, hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil, is because that church had experienced false prophets. They were giving a message that was different than the one that Paul had delivered about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And how many know he really, really could have said, you know what, stop. And see, there's two terms here. One is called charisphobia. It's a made-up word, but I latched onto it because it explains the situation. And there's another one called charismania. And then there's a real word called charismata, which charis means gift or grace. Charis means grace, and the mata is the, is the gift. It's the grace gifts. And God has given the grace gifts of the Spirit to the church, but what is charisphobia? Charisphobia is you've been burnt. And can I tell you something? I could provide names where we've misused the gifts, We've given directional prophecy that didn't come to pass. We have uh, had been an overabundance of imaginations that were giving prophecies that weren't from God. And we had all kinds of situations where either somebody intentionally, out of a lack of love, wanted people to see them. I'm just being honest here because I really care about this subject and I want to see God's people move in the gifts and be free to make mistakes. But sometimes it was intentional because people see me, see me, see me. And so we try to operate in what we consider to be the best gifts, which Paul was addressing. And when he was doing that, he was saying the only way this gift thing is going to work is if one fruit of the Spirit is the key to everything, and that's love. And so that's why he has the whole chapter. You say, well, I thought it was for weddings. I thought 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, was about weddings, and he just wanted to write something beautiful that we'd have for that interlude in the wedding to read, you know, Scripture reading. No, the whole thing was because he wanted spiritual gifts in the church, but the only way it would work is if that one fruit of the Spirit was the dominant motivation for that. And that's why he said, if you don't have love, you can't control the gift of tongues. Because you're going to blurt it out. In fact, can I tell you something I've learned? And you say, well, you've never been in Pentecost, brother. I've been in it my whole life. I've seen everything. Right? And I know some people think the louder I talk in tongues, 
I'm going to make the Spirit of God move in that church. And Paul said, ah, back up. You don't understand the gift. That gift, literally, he's not saying it's lesser than all the other ones. He just said, in the assembly, it's not going to minister anywhere because you're talking to God. He said, rather that you prophesy or have interpretation so people can hear the thoughts of their intents of their heart and know of a surety that God is in the house. So he's trying to teach them, hey, if you've got that gift of tongues, you can't control it, you can't use it, you can't be beneficial to the church. In fact, you're going to be so non-beneficial to the church, they're going to think that we're crazy people. You say, Chad, that's never happened in a Pentecostal church. (laughs) But back to the love thing, how many people have we destroyed their concept Because we won't be obedient to what he's trying to teach. He said, I speak in tongues more than anybody. And I I relate to, how many relate to that? I mean, I can't live without that gift because it's what allows me to sit in God's presence for hours and hours and hours. God challenged me, he said, how how much do you speak in tongues, Chad? And I tried to think in my mind how many hours a week and I don't even know. It's so second nature to me, I don't even know how many hours a week. How many speak in tongues like that? But in the church, I'd rather prophesy. I'd rather speak the intents of people's heart, the secrets of their heart, the Bible said, revealed. And that is beneficial to the body. It's edification, it's correction, it's rebuke, it's all those things that we need. Thessalonica needed to hear a word of prophecy because they were so heavily persecuted That's how God was speaking directly to that church. And that's why Paul said, don't put out the fire that you learned about 20 years ago. So don't put it out. In fact, he says, don't treat prophecies with contempt because they had been burnt by a false prophet. He said, but, and Paul puts out a case and so does Peter, that there are two different kinds of prophecy. In fact, Peter says, there's the more sure word of prophecy, which is the word of God infallible, inerrant, perfect. The Word of God is true, blue, pure prophecy that's undoubtable. It's un, there's no, no fallibility, no error whatsoever with the Word of God. It's true prophecy. But on this prophecy, it says, judge it. Why? Because God works through people with prophecy. In fact, He said, it's going to be upon your sons and your daughters. And those are infallible people. All flesh are going to be used by the gifts of the Spirit. And you're going to have to judge it to make sure we don't lose it. Make sure we don't lose it. Because how else is God in the house going to speak the secrets of men and women's hearts And they know of a surety that God's in the house if we're not operating in the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit wants to speak to this body and He does it through prophecy. And that's why there's a different kind of prophecy that's not the same as the prophecy of Scripture. It's a fallible prophecy where we can be in error. And there's lots of reasons why we're in error. Sometimes it's selfishness and pride. Sometimes it's look at me and not in love. Sometimes it's just simply people learning to operate in that gift. And church, how many know we need to begin to learn to operate in those gifts? Hallelujah. Let me give you some 
stuff here, and I get back to my notes. Paul says prophecy. In fact, let me show you the pure. If you read it purely by the words, it is the spirit do not quench. Prophecies do not despise, but test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. This is interesting. He's talking about prophecy. He says, hold fast, hold on tight to the good prophecy. Same subject if you look at the structure of this, these phrases that Paul puts here. And he says a plural. He said, avoid the evil forms. Plural. What does that mean? There is an evil form of prophecy. It could be a little evil. It could be a big evil. But there is a pure singular form. He says, hold on to the good singular. That means the good prophecy. I mean, no, there's good, good, good prophecy. There's people that will speak into your life and you'll know of a surety that there is a real God because they've been with God. They've heard from God. They're speaking of God. But you know, there are lots of forms, plural, of that which is not good. How many have ever been burnt by not good? And again, evil comes in lots of forms. Sometimes it's just little. It's like I'm not fully operating in that gift. And there's only one singular good, but then there's lots of evil forms of it. And so church, we've got to test the spirits and see if they be of God. Why? Because we want to use the gifts of the Spirit. We want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We need it. Church, we're not going to do what God has called us to do if we're not functioning as a body and everybody's operating in the gifts that God's called them to operate in. In fact, let me read some of this history to fill in the blanks of the 19 or 20 years and tell you why Paul is so adamant about it. In fact, uh, Paul, let me give you just a breakdown of Paul real quick, and I know I'm going to read a lot of scriptures here, but how many of you know you have to have a foundation to stand on in your beliefs? Because there's a way of doing church, and that way of doing church is defined by the Bible and not by denominations. It's not defined by, hey, we did it this way growing up, we did it that way growing up, this church does it that way, but you know what, this one does it that way and it's okay, and then this one does it another way and that's okay, and that's just what tradition does. And here's what I'm asking you to do, throw the tradition away. Clear your mind of all tradition. You say, good, I'm just going to take your opinion, Pastor Chad. Take my opinion. My opinion is not any better than your tradition's. But we got to be rooted in the Word of God. What is it telling us church is like? And so Paul, this is one of his first letters, Galatians and Thessalonians, to these two different cities. Galatia was his first missionary journey. Thessalonica was in his second and real early, okay? And those books were probably the first two. And from the very beginning, if you follow Paul, he never backs off on spiritual gifts, in fact, his last books that he wrote were First and Second Timothy when he's about to die in prison. And guess what he's still doing? He's saying, Timothy, fan the flame of your gifts. Remember that we laid hands on you and imparted spiritual gifts. Make sure you operate in them. The beginning of his writing career in Thessalonica and Galatians, he says in Galatians, he says, um, who has bewitched you? And he said, did, um, did it come to you by the law? 
He said, did miracles come to you in Galatian by the law or did they come by the power of the Spirit? Miracles. Miracles were being done in the midst of Galatia. And he said, that wasn't through the law. That was through the Spirit of God in your midst. And they were performing miracles. There were no apostles in that statement. There were normal people seeing miracles in the body of Galatia. Then you go to Thessalonica and he's saying, hey, don't let the fire be quenched. Don't put it out. Let the Spirit begin to move in your midst because that is the gospel. The gospel is the Spirit of God moves in the churches of the living God. And he's saying, don't quench it. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but judge them because infallible people are going to prophesy. It's going to be upon all flesh. It's not going to be like the Old Testament where certain people got the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says all flesh, all believers, everybody, Paul says in Corinthians, will have a gift. Everybody will have a gift to bring. Can I submit to this, this to you? Church, the way it's supposed to be, is almost like Christmas. Some people grew, were fortunate to grow up in families where they would come together and, and man, it would take hours. Now we weren't one of those families. We didn't have a lot of money. We would be to tears if we had one or two when I was growing up. But we were so happy we'd be, we'd be drawn to tears just to have something. But how many have been places or seen places where it takes hours to open up gifts. And some are extravagant givers. And you're like, oh man, there's that rich uncle, that rich aunt, and God bless them. You know I'm going to get something good. Or you have that extravagant mom or dad that spoils those kids with gifts. But then you also have the ones that give the gifts that are like, just what you need, son. Just what you need. I've got you underwear, gloves, socks, Right? How many know there's different kinds of gift givers? And you know what? When we come together, it almost looks like that's what God has in mind. He is a gift giver and He's pouring caress, grace gifts upon His church. And guess what? Some of the things we're opening is exactly what we need. Like, I hate Him for giving me so much underwear and socks, but you know what? Technically, I do have holes in my socks and my underwear really could use some replacing. All right. And you know what? Maybe their gift was actually more important to me than the extravagant one. But guess what? God also gives extravagant gifts to the church. I'm talking about there is a gift. Everybody is supposed to have faith, right? But there is a spiritual gift that's called supernatural faith. And you say, big deal. That's an extravagant gift because if you're going through something, you're looking for the person that has that gift of faith. When you're a pessimist, you're looking for that person who's saying, we can take the hill. How many know that is an extravagant gift? How many know miracles and wonders and signs and all these things that God does miraculous? You were talking about an extravagant gift that God was giving you. And can I tell you what? God wants this to be, church is supposed to be that. He says, Paul says, when you come together, everybody has a gift. You say, wow, it's one of those parties where we all have to buy a gift. How much? Five dollars? Okay. No, it's one of those things where we're all in the presence of the Holy Spirit and He is just dropping gifts everywhere in this body. And people are eagerly seeking gifts. And church, if we're going to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish, we have to have that. 
And God was telling me too, I'm telling you, I'm just, I sit up all night just dripping with revelation, you know, of what God wants to do. And God says, you know what? You've been planting high quality seed. How many have ever had high quality seed, expensive seed? You know what I'm talking about. He said, you've been dropping high quality seed in desert. And he said, I'm, I've, I've been asking you to keep doing it. You know how much faith it requires to drop seeds in the desert? And you say, well, Chad, the quality of the seed is not what we anticipated. That's not what God's telling me. I'm overriding you on this one. Go back and listen. High quality seed is being dropped in the desert. And he says, be faithful to keep planting it. He said, you sow alone right now. Just keep sowing it. Just keep planting it. Just keep dropping it in. And how much faith was it for God to take Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and take them into lands that were deserts and saying, plant. Reap a harvest. You know, I, I did a study a long time ago on you know, rivers of living water underground. And you know that there's lots of places and places like Death Valley where you can lay on the ground. You can hear rivers of living water under parched, dry ground. And Lord says, just keep planting in the desert. Because what's going to happen is it's going to sprout. And God has promised that He's going to make a lush, green landscape out of a barren desert. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so some of you are struggling. Some of you are saying, man, God's Spirit is not able to do this. And God's Spirit's not able to accomplish this. And we're not able to accomplish this. And God's Spirit is nothing. And God's crying out and He's saying... See, God was God had a shoulder there and He was saying, if only they would. He's saying, I, your God is a wellspring. Your God is an artesian well. Springs of water are just below the surface here. And if you'll tap into it, God was, God was, get this. God was saying, you're almost touching me. Like you entered in for a few minutes there and he says, you're really close. And he was like, I so much want to turn to you. I so much want you to have the artesian well. I so much want you to operate in the flow of my spirit. And he says, you've almost touched me. And how many know the Spirit of God is an impartation? Power is an impartation. I'm going to get into that in a second. But God, God told me there's a woman one time, and she had a disease, and she had a terrible disease, and crowds were around Jesus. And all the crowds were pushing and bumping, and the disciples were around. And, and um, he said, what was that? And they said, what? There's people all around you. And he said, no, there was one. The power went out of me. I imparted the power of the Holy Spirit in one person who got a hold of me. And God's saying, you almost touched me. You almost pressed through and you almost grabbed a hold of me, but no. You didn't. And God is calling, calling the church to press in because 
He has things He wants to impart to each person. And we just were a powerless church until we, we, we pour ourselves or have the impartation of the Spirit. Now Paul, listen to this scripture here. In fact, Eddie quoted it this morning. It says, you will receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. And so Jesus had already blown on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But He's saying, don't leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power, which is dunamis. Don't leave until you're endued with power. Dunamis. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, when you go back and you do a word study on the word dunamis and the author, who is Luke, you find out that he used that word 25 times, dunamis. Ten times he used it of Jesus' ministry, and ten times he used it about ordinary people that weren't Jesus. And do you know that almost all of the times, eight of the ten times with Jesus, um, it means miracles, signs, wonders, miraculous healings, miraculous power, casting out of demons. That word power almost every time with Jesus means miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. You say, well, it's probably not like that with the believers. Nine out of the ten, when it talks about believers and use the word power, in the lives of ordinary Christians, you know what it means? Miracles, casting out demons, power from on high. Endowment with power, dunamis. And so almost every time it's used, in fact, the only one out of the ten where it doesn't mean miracles, signs, wonders, casting out demons, healings, the only time it doesn't is Acts 1.8 where it's telling you what they will have. The rest is power from on high to perform Great signs and wonders and miracles. And you say, well, man, is that what happened? Acts 1.8, and then you begin to look. Well, see, what, that's what happened after. Now, there's something you need to know. There's two camps when it comes to signs and wonders and miracles. In fact, you see a lot of people on the Internet, um, I think they're kind of mean-spirited, but I love them. They're called cessationists. And then they will say the other camp is a continuist, which means the Bible um, is pouring out, a, God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. The cessationist says that when the last apostle died, unfortunately it stopped. And they have no biblical foundation to say that. They say that only the apostles performed signs and wonders, and they did it to establish the foundation of the church, and then after that there was nothing. But then what they call a continuous, I just say a biblical Christian that studies the Bible, they realize that God wasn't just doing it through the apostles. God was doing it through the whole church. And God never intended for it to stop. In fact, God gives timelines on when it will stop. And that timeline always is the second coming of Christ. Every time. Now listen to this. You tell me if only the apostles... We're doing the miracles. In fact, apostles did all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. But Acts 1.8 says, Dunabas will be poured upon those who tarry and wait for that power, that endowment from on high. Okay. Acts 6 and 7. 
In Acts 6, the apostles, remember this group that they say is the only ones that are going to receive this power? It says the apostles, God had led them to commit all their time to fasting and prayer as apostles, right? And so this Acts chapter 6. And so God says out of His spirit of wisdom, this spiritual gift is an operation. God, the Holy Spirit says, select seven men, and we call them deacons, right? They're not apostles though. How many know that? They're not listed with the twelve apostles. They raised up seven men to do what? Serve tables. Wait on people because the, the Greeks and the Hebrews and they weren't being served equally and there was a argument about we're not getting fair treatment and they said, well, let's raise up some Greek people that are faithful and full of the Holy Spirit and let's let them serve tables so we the apostles can focus on prayer and the Word of God. How many remember this? Well, listen to this. That proposal pleased the whole group. This is verse 5 of chapter 6. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also they chose Philip, a Procurus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, uh, Pharmaneus, uh, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. They prayed, laid hands on them. So the word of God began to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of the Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, who's Stephen? Not one of the apostles, right? Stephen was a full of God's grace, and there is that power. Dunamis. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, members of the synagogue. So it goes on and Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. But guess what he's doing? He has power from on high and he's performing signs and wonders. Not an apostle. Wow, really? Tell me more. Acts chapter 8. Saul, which becomes Paul, who we get most of our information about spiritual gifts, have been going through persecuting the church. This is around 33, 34, 35 A.D., right? Only 17 years later, he's the one that's going to tell us, don't quench the Spirit. But he's going through as Saul, and it says, a great persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered out throughout Judea and Samaria. So the apostles are still in Jerusalem, right? Everybody else is scattered to Judea and Samaria. Listen to this. Godly men buried Stephen because he was martyred, the first martyr. They mourned deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He dragged off men and women, put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria Wow, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. Crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he, Philip, performed. They all paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Again, throw away all your ideas. If we're going to pursue spiritual gifts, it better be in the Bible, and it better be the foundation, it better, better be the normal, um, the normal operation of the church and what Paul anticipated. So it's not just the apostles that are doing the signs and wonders. Now we have Philip, now we have Stephen. Okay, Ananias in chapter 9 verse 5. Paul 
This is Saul that was persecuting the church. Paul has a dramatic vision. And you should stop right there. Paul's not an apostle at this moment. He says, I'm going to pour my spirit upon all flesh. And guess what? There's a fleshly creature out there that's persecuting the church and going door to door, killing Christians. And guess what? Just like Joel said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, even this filthy Saul that's killing Christians. And this wonder begins to happen. Paul's knocked off of his horse because of a vision from God. Nobody else sees what happened. And basically the way it says is they're freaking out. Because he's knocked off of his horse, he becomes completely blind. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. He's completely blind. He's the only one that sees Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he says, I want you to go to a certain city. He's completely blind, leading a large group of men. They don't know what's happening to him. Does he tell him to go to an apostle? No, he said, there's a man named Ananias who's had a vision. So tell me what the normal operation is for the church. So he goes to this man that's already had a vision because the, Joel said, I will pour out my spirit. You'll have visions. You'll have dreams. Old men and young men, men and women, they will prophesy. Women will prophesy? Yes, they will prophesy. And so Ananias has had a vision that Paul's going to come. Well, no, a vision that Saul's going to come. And he's like, What? And everybody's like, don't let him in. He's, it's a trick. He's going to kill you. But God poured his spirit upon all flesh. Paul has a vision. Ananias has a vision. God puts them together. And guess who lays hands on Paul? Paul receives the Holy Spirit. And it says like scales, it fell off of his eyes. And by the hands of Ananias, a common man, he received his sight. Hallelujah. Then we go a little further in Acts. And I'm reading a lot of scripture here. The church at Antioch, Acts 13.1, it says, Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets. Oh my goodness. Well, it was probably the apostles because they're the only ones that God allowed to prophesy. This is what cessationist says. God only allowed the apostles to prophesy because they were writing the Bible and all prophecy was the writing of the Bible. Okay, well, let's test that. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, they list the prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up in Herod the Tetrarch's house, and Saul. So who are the prophets and teachers? One guy was raised in Herod's house and he's a prophet in the church of the living God. He's not an apostle. He was raised in Herod's house. Okay, who are these names? Lucius, Simeon of Niger, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. This is all nationalities. This is all colors of people. Antioch has people from around the world. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit and they are prophets. It's not the apostles. Antioch was sending out the first missionaries. They were sending little A apostles out to preach the gospel. And Saul was just among the prophets and the teachers. How many know that? This becomes Paul. He's the last one listed, which means that he probably was the most insignificant of the group. Paul spent three years being taught of the Lord in the presence of God away from everybody. And then 14 years before he went on his first missionary journey. Like, oh, well, I thought he got saved and he just went to 
missionary trail. No, there were 17 years there being taught of the Lord. How I many no prophets were there? Right? This is early in Paul's ministry, before he even writes the Thessalonians. He knows about the Spirit of God, and that's why he's saying, don't quench the fire. Because he's grown up around this for these 20 years before Thessalonica. Then Paul goes to a certain city. It says, while Apollos, this is Acts 19.6, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now Paul's on his missionary journeys, right? Deep into his ministry. There were some disciples there and they asked Paul, or Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I thought receiving the Holy Spirit was believing when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells me. The Holy Spirit, how many know the Holy Spirit indwells you when you, when you give your heart to Christ, He indwells you? Well, these people have accepted Christ, but He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we know not that there be a Holy Spirit. They answered, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that's coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Why did they prophesy and speak in tongues? Because he said... I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. And boy, they fit that description. Just a group of people in Ephesus that had believed on the Lord. Then Paul goes to a place called Tyre. T-Y-R-E, up on the coast, off of um, um, the landmass there in the Mediterranean, up in the northern part. Paul's on another travel here. And it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, these other disciples, we were put out to the sea and we sailed straight to Kos. This is Acts 21.4. We sailed straight to Kios. The next day we went to Rhodes. This is another island. And from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre. So where is Paul at? Tyre, just a random group of disciples at Tyre, not the apostles. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload cargo. We sought out the disciples and there we stayed with them for seven days. These are just random disciples at Tyre. And it says, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what that is? Prophecy. Random disciples entire. What is the normal operation of the church? They're prophesying what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. They're telling Paul what's happening in the future. Does that blow your mind? I'm talking about the normal operation of the church here. Paul goes even further And it says, then when we left there, we went and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray with them. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre, and we landed at Ptolemaeus. There we were greeted by the brothers and sisters there in Ptolemaeus. We stayed with them for a day, and leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. And stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the original seven. 
And he had four under un, unmarried daughters who prophesied. I thought only a pro, I thought only the apostles did that. So everywhere he goes, what is the church doing? And I'm just talking about prophecy. I'm not even talking about the powerful signs and wonders. Everywhere Paul sells to, random believers are prophesying the future. They're saying, this is what's going to happen. We're warning you. We're warning you. Unmarried daughters of Philip, why are these women have the audacity to prophesy? Because God said, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters. And guess what we find in every town that Paul goes where there are believers operating in the gifts of the spirit. So why does Paul go to Thessalonica just to, in fact, he'd already written the letter to Thessalonica saying, don't despise prophecy. Why? Because he lived by it. That prophecy had to be judged, but true blue prophecy should be in your church. The gifts of the Spirit should be in operation. And everywhere Paul went, and you say, well, is that it? No. The next verse, after we'd been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. These people are everywhere. These people operating the gifts are just popping up everywhere. Man, that sounds like revival. People are in God's presence. They're seeking out the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is moving upon God's people and they're doing mighty and incredible things. Why? Because they're earnestly seeking the Spirit of God in their lives and we're not doing it, church. And we need to be. And I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm saying we need the body to rise up in the gifts of the Spirit. And we can't just say stop. We can't have a phobia because we've been burnt. We need the real thing. And this is Agabus. Agabus says, hey, bring me a, a belt. And he begins to tie himself up. They give him Paul's belt. He ties himself up and he says, the man that owns this belt will be arrested and put in chains when he goes to Jerusalem. Another prophecy by a man named Agabus. How many know Agabus wasn't one of the apostles, the original twelve? And church, I could go on and on. You, you see all those red letters? That's my whole next page of God's gifts moving on the church. But I'm not going to read them all to you. You have to do that yourself. Study. Show yourself approved. And you say, well, cessationists might be right. The last apostle died and, and they just stopped because God only did it to confirm the Word and all prophecy was Scripture. And boy, we just heard something totally different. I mean, no, we never heard the prophecies of Philip's daughters. A lot of those weren't scripture. You know, it just told a prophecy and nobody said what they were. They were just prophetesses. Hallelujah. So what is Paul's counsel concerning spiritual gifts? You say, well, this is all good and well, but what is the challenge to us as a church and why is this so important? Paul gives us advice on spiritual gifts and four times in Corinthians he says, number one, earnestly desire. Earnestly desire. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you break down the Greek here, this is an imperative. This is an actual command. Like if we don't listen to the command, we're disobedient to God. Just like flee from sexual immorality. There's not an option there. There's not, I can run after it, and some people go don't go after Sexual immorality, some do. No, it's a command. Everybody who is a Christian flees from sexual immorality. Well, this one's the same way. Earnestly seek spiritual gifts. You say, well, he said it once. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1 So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in it, 
for the building up of the church. Strive to excel in it and eagerly pursue it. The manifestations of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.12, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. You say, well, he retracted that. We, we don't believe in speaking in tongues. You're being disobedient to what Paul said, this is the way church is supposed to be. If you're a preacher out there and you're preaching that, you're disobedient. i got to say it to the camera because maybe somebody will hear this outside of Henderson. You're being disobedient if you forbid prophecy, forbid speaking in tongues, and you say, well, we've been burnt. It doesn't matter. Paul had seen church after church that had been burnt. And Paul said, we still have to have it and earnestly seek it. And so I started praying. I said, God, man, how do we develop spiritual gifts in people? And boy, you can go on the Internet. Man, God created the Internet to help me preach sermons. Put it in steps to... Operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And boy, you can see it. One, two, three. Go to another one. One, two, three, four. Go to another one. One, two, three, four, five, six. Maybe eight of them. Ten of them. You know, hey, just make sure step number one. No sin in your life. All right, check. All right, well, step number two. And you get, how many know you got all these steps? And so I was like, man, you know what? I don't feel like doing a Google search. I was like, tell me. You know, tell me face to face. In fact, first Peter, um, in fact, I put it on my phone on the way over here. Actually, Google that scripture. Listen to this. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anybody serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So in all things, it may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear what he's saying? If you're going to prophesy, which is what he wants us to eagerly seek, do it as if you're speaking the very words of God. And so I said, God, how do, what, what do we do to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? How do we receive those gifts? How do we operate in them? And uh, God said, you know what? You're doing it in one part of your life. I was like, well, great. But not a lot of areas of your life. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, the way you go after preaching is how you should do everything in your life. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you haven't slept this week because you're sensitive to my spirit and you have a burden for preaching the gospel. How many, how many know there is a seriousness, not just me, but most preachers have a seriousness about preaching the gospel. And I can't have words on a page. If I have words on a, pra- on a page, I've just learned over the years I can't preach. And I'm very upset and I'm very disappointed and I'll argue with God and I'll say it's words on a page. I can't preach words on a page. Words on a page do nothing. They don't tell the secrets of people's heart. They don't minister to the Spirit. They don't separate the soul and the heart and doesn't reach. The Gospel doesn't reach. And God said, you know what? Look at yourself. What do you do? And you say, God you got to speak to me. God, you got to tell me the hearts of the people. God, you've got to begin to move in my life, and you got to help me, Lord. And I beg God always, please help me. Don't make me go out there without you. Don't let me move without you. Don't let me preach a word that's just a word. And you know what? God drips these sermons full of revelation. You, you know, God, because I, I'm, I just bug Him to death. I'm a pest. I'm an absolute pest. And how many know God said if you're going to receive from the Holy Spirit, you've got to be a pest? He said there was a woman 
who wanted justice. And it was an unjust, an unrighteous judge. And he said, if she's ever going to get anything, it's because of the fact that every night she's at his door. Basically, she's bugging him all the time. And God said, Chad, you're a pest. And that's what God wants. I reach him because I'm a pest. All right, and I'm saying, God, I can't go like that. I can't go like that. And I'll stay up all night sometimes because I'm not hearing the direct. Do you understand that the Bible says, speak as if you're speaking the very words of God? King James says, speak as if you're speaking the oracles of God. It's the same word oracles where he said the Jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of God, which means the word of God. How many know that I am speaking the very words of God Every Sunday morning, they're not my words. If they're my words, I won't even preach it. But God drips in these sermons revelation. Do you know that I have lots of knowledge of the Word? And get this, I have applied my life. My wife will tell you, I try not to spend money on studying. But even this week, she's looked at my bank account and said, what is this $50 for? And I I said, I have to have it. You know, I've I've studied a piece of work from a scholar that's 400 pages, and it's just Paul's scriptures about the Holy Spirit, breaking it down in its truest form. And you say, well, what's that all about? But I've got three or 4,000 books because I want to be faithful to deliver the message of the gospel to God's people. That's the level of seriousness I have to this. All right? But it's not good enough. I need a word of knowledge. That means I need the right word for the right moment, for the right time, and that only comes by the Spirit of God through a supernatural gift called word of knowledge. You know that I need word of wisdom. I need a word of wisdom to tell me exactly the wisdom that I need to impart every Sunday in your situation. I just can't give general wisdom. And God said, do you realize that sermon? That's what I said. God showed me it's just dripping. I mean, the Holy Spirit is just all over it. It drips. I mean, you can just see it all over it. Every gift of the Spirit's in operation. And he said, why don't you do that in everything? That's me trying to use my gifting as a preacher, as a teacher. You know, prophecy is different from just teaching. Prophecy is I've heard the hearts of the people and that message is for that moment in time, that very Sunday, there's an appointment with God and I've got to preach what's in the hearts of the people. And I will not leave unless God gives me that message for that moment, for that time. And God said, why can't you do that with everything? And I was like, man, I've never thought about it that way. And so I had, an, I had a, um, some counseling I had to do with somebody. And I knew they were, they were in need financially. And I knew that I was like, man, you know what? I don't know. I just was like, kind of torn up, like, man, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to tell them. I'm, you know, if you say yes, it's bad for you. If you say no, it's bad for you. You just don't know what to do. And God said, okay, take off the training wheels. Seek me eagerly. Eagerly seek the spiritual gift that you need for that moment. And I said, well, God, I need it. I need it. I can't. And, and I found myself praying the same way for, I pray for a sermon for that counseling call. You say, well, man, what are some of the gifts of the Spirit? 1239. Wow. I'm shocked. 
But you know, some of the gifts of the Spirit, listen, I'm so sorry. Some of the gifts of the Spirit, when you begin to look at them, I've got that list somewhere on here. Oh, here it is. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting other people, contributing or giving, leading, mercy for other people, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostleship, helping, administering, evangelism, shepherding, teaching. You know, they say that the, Paul said there are manifold acts of grace. And there's, that means there's so many, we don't even know how many there are. What if God's people did what I do for a sermon? What if they got up every day and said, you know what, I want to deliver my gift today. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want God to move on these people. And, and God just began to show me something. Look at this. This is a latex glove, right? And this latex glove is inanimate. I mean, it really has no life to it. It has no form to it. It can't really do anything. I can tell it, hey, you know, make a fist. You know, make a fist. You know, give me a thumbs up. You know, give me an okay sign. You know, give me a peace sign. Go do work for God. Go do this, go do that. And you say, well, man, we say, fill me up, God. Fill my cup to overflowing. And you know, that word is pleru in the Bible. And the Bible says that if you have a Greek scholar, they'll say the water in the cup is not a good analogy. It's something inanimate filling something that needs power. And so the example that they give is a sailboat. The sailboat needs power to accomplish what it's going to do, or it does nothing. And, and so this hand, I could blow the Holy Spirit into it, and it's still inanimate. But if the Holy Spirit is in my hand, in my hand, I don't know if I can put this on. I had one my size. It's supposed to be one size fits all. But when my hand is inside this glove, it can finally do anything. The most useful part of your body is that hand. I can make a fist. I can command it, make a fist. I command it, give a thumbs up. I can command it, give a peace sign. Command it to go okay. I can command it to do the work of the Lord, to help the poor, help the sick. But as long as this is not full, see how transparent it is? You can see what's working through this thing. You can see the power. You can see the power of the Holy Spirit working through my hand. And how many know we're never going to do a thing for God? We're never going to have the power that... that that the Bible talks about and the power that fills the cell, the power to accomplish in church unless we die every day and say, God, fill this with my hand and your Holy Spirit, and today I'm going to do your work. That means every day I have to die. I have to crucify myself and allow myself to be filled full of the Holy Spirit. And church, if we begin to do that and we begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. That's all the early church was doing. Was there, and you say, well, man, is that the power to preach? The power to perform miracles? The power to have the dunamis in your life? It's all those things, but it's a lot more. It's the power to get up every day and serve. What if you spent the amount of time that I spent on every message 
What if you spent that time every day saying, Holy Spirit, work through my gifts, work through my life? What if I did that? I mean, I got so convicted. Why do I spend so much on that one gift? And God was saying, you know what? You could have those gifts for your neighbors when you go to work, when you go out. I mean, you could have those gifts in operation, word of wisdom. I mean, God's given it to me for you. But how many know I can have that for the people in my life as a dad, as a parent, as a coworker, the neighbor? How many know if we apply ourselves in church, that's what's missing. We're not applying ourselves to the Spirit of God. And God is calling us to take the spiritual gift serious and stop being disobedient. You say, well, it's just a good thing we had. No, it's not a good thing. It's a command. We must seek the spiritual gifts. And I'm going to close because we're really late and we've got a meeting at 3 o'clock. And the reason I preached this, I had no idea it was that late. I'm so sorry. But how many know if we don't bring the gifts of the Spirit in these meetings we're having every Sunday night at 3 to 7, if we don't bring it to the church, if we don't apply ourselves to developing these gifts in our life, God's just not going to do what He wants to do. That glove is empty. It has no form. It has no power. It has no strength. And we're just a dead, lifeless church. And that's why Paul said, don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And church, we're going to be on this for a few weeks, so I probably should have broke it up, but I didn't. But I don't feel like I preached that long. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for You. You were sent to teach us all truth, lead us into everything, power everything we do. And uh, we apply ourselves to You. We love You. Uh, we're sensitive to You. And every day I pray that we would be continually filled uh, by You. In Your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Thank You. Amen. Be blessed. Hallelujah.